This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. You know, if someone has been facing continuous struggles, just struggling, struggling, or you could call it ongoing struggle, or, you know, if failure is another thing, I believe that, and that's not all that we're going to address today, but, you know, that's the heart and the core. This is going to address a lot of that because people look for answers. You know, just the other day, I uh, was listening to a, um, it's not really a talk show, more than it is uh, a pastor who takes calls. He shares, you know, his little, his Bible study, and then he takes calls after that, you know, just with people that want to ask questions, want prayer and that kind of thing. And he does it live. And um, I remember listening to this one caller, a lady, she called and she was crying. She was sobbing and, you know, she could hardly get her words out. And we were all trying to understand. I was trying to understand as I was listening. And basically what she said is, is that she has a son, a young son, young adult, probably in his 20s. Uh, that's the way she spoke. It sounded like that. And she was just crying for him. She says he's had struggle after struggle after struggle through high school, through college. And now, you know, with getting a job and this and that and, you know, just the things that he got into, the company that he keeps, which is no good. And she was just crying. And she says she went to her pastor in her local church and just poured out her heart you know, just asked for prayer. But she's looking for answers because she wants to help her son. And unfortunately, <clears throat> it sounds like the pastor that she went to told her that it's probably, you know, he asked her a whole bunch of questions as far as are they doing this, are they, you know, all legalistic stuff. In other words, are you performing? Are you doing all this? Uh, because if you are, then you shouldn't have, be having a problem. And, you know, that's Jesus said we'll have trials and tribulations in this world. And so, uh, but anyway, so, you know, he went through this legalistic checklist and everything checked. And so when he was done, he says, well, the only thing that remains is, is that there ha it has to be a generational curse. And then he asked her, did your husband have similar issues? And she said, yeah. And he said, what about his dad? She said, I don't know, but the way he speaks, it sounds like it. And so he said, well, that's it. See, it's a generational curse. And basically he told her he'll pray with her, but she needs to seek someone who is anointed, in other words, a spiritual professional, if you will, to help her break these generational curses. Otherwise, this is going to go on and his children, eventually the son's children, when he has children, they're the ones that are going to be, you know, victims of that too. And so this woman was sobbing and when she called this, this, this person, this minister, she was just pouring out her heart saying, you know, what can help me? Can you point me to someone who specializes in this? And maybe it's you. Can you help me? And man, it was so heartbreaking to watch that situation. And you know, the truth is, as pastor, I've seen it so many times in my life in church as pastor with people. And even in my own life, before I, have revela I had revelation of gospel, the gospel truth. And you know, I'm not saying I've got it all, but we've definitely left, right? And, um, but I remember just whenever we get to a place with things just seem to be going on and on, struggles, uh, you know, failure, just different things. We seem to all, we do want answers because that's how we are made. We want to know so that we can fix it. So to see what we can do about it. And so um, 
And you know, that, that's the heart, the birth of this message. This message, at least, was birthed out of that heart. Just a heart of looking for answers. And you know, let me tell you, it's going to bring freedom. It's going to help you for sure. And so that's why we encourage you to be here and invite anyone you know who specifically may have questions looking for answers. Praise God. So let's say a word over the message today and let's get right into our message. Amen. Father, we thank you today for revelation knowledge that flows freely, that it flows abundantly. Thank you for ministering to our hearts, Father, only like you can and only like you do. And today, Father, we thank you for your wonderful Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us hear the voice of the Father within the voice that speaks today. Thank you for revealing more of yourself to us, Father, more of who we are and what we have in Jesus. And as we listen to this corporate message, we thank you that there is also within it a tailor-made message for each and every single one of us. So we receive that today. Father, thank you for this privilege. <clears throat> I count it a privilege and an honor to be used by you, Father, to share your wonderful word in Jesus' name. And everyone who is ready to receive said, Amen. Praise God. Don't be shy with those amens, those hallelujahs and all of that. Praise God. Heaven hears it. God hears it. And I definitely receive it. Praise God. All right. So the title of our message this morning is the unscriptural side of generational curses. Now, I could have titled it as well, um, Eight Reasons Why Generational Curses Do Not Apply to the Believer. That could have been a subtitle. But as you can see on that graphic there, you have someone, a priest, who's pointing a finger to a new covenant believer, and he is sweating, he's shaking, because he's just been told that, you know, generational curses are the reason why life is such a misery. And then behind him, you see the three generations. So he's the fourth. And so you see the generations that bore and caused that supposed curse. And he is now victim of that. But today, I want to show you how that is not gospel truth. How that is not the heart of God. And so let's just cover some basics before we get there. Now, as far as a curse, a curse is the opposite of blessing, a blessing. So if you were to say, okay, what is the opposite of a curse? It's blessing. What is the opposite of blessing? Curse, right? So really, in essence, another way you can describe a curse is by saying it is the absence of God's blessing. That's what a curse is. It's the absence of God's favor. And so who wants that? No one wants that. And generally, when God's favor, God's blessing is not there, is when things don't go bad, don't go well. <laughs> That's when thing we have a lot of questions about why is this happening? Why is this going on? And so, so having said that, a generational curse then would be the a generational absence of God's blessing. In other words, one generation after another experienced the same lack of favor, the same lack of blessing. Now, a generational curse is the consequence a person experiences for the sins of his or her, or the sins at least, that his or her ancestors practiced. And that's generally how this is taught, and Scripture shows us that. But we need to understand that in context. We need to understand it. We need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And also, we need to look at everything 
through the lens of the finished work of the cross, because that's the ultimate message of the whole Bible. And so, but in essence, that's what it is. A generational curse, a generational absence of the blessing, God's favor, is because a person is experiencing the consequences of his or her ancestors and the sins that they practiced in specifically. Let me show you this so we can see and we can understand it. I know we're familiar with some of this stuff, but I can't assume that everyone knows. But also we need to cover this so that we understand where we're going. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5 from the New King James. Watch what it says there. Now, this is talking about idols, in other words, false gods, and more importantly, please listen to this carefully, in Exodus 20 is where God gave the law. He gave the Ten Commandments, which is the basis of the law, and then further on you see that he gave another 603, making it a total of 613 commandments, but the Ten being the core, the basis. And so in Exodus 20 is where God gives the law. And in the giving of the law, watch what he says here. And you shall not, talking about idols, remember? They're making idols. And you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. Talking about idols and false gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Watch this now. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, that's the sins, upon the children, watch this, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So in that portion, what we see is, is that God basically outlines generational curses. And he says, this is what they are. They are the iniquity. Another word for that would be a simpler word, but there's more to it than that. The sins of the fathers. And he says, that is passed on to the third and the fourth generation. Can you imagine that? Imagine that you, as an innocent believer, you have received salvation in Jesus. You are loving God, enjoying a relationship with Him. You're serving Him. You're doing things for the kingdom. But yet you keep experiencing this you know, consistent issue or issues and you're wondering, what is going on? You know, did Jesus redeem me or did he not? What is going on here? And oftentimes people are pointed to this when there's no answer. It has to be a generational curse. And I'm thinking, well, why am I responsible or why am I being held responsible for something someone I don't even know has done? Isn't that so? I mean, I think about in my case, I didn't really get to know my biological father. As you know, my parents divorced when I was really, really young. And so I didn't know him. So I don't know what he was like. I don't know what sense he had. Least of all, his father and his grandfather, which would be, I'm the fourth generation. So now imagine that I now have to be responsible for the sins that they've committed, and I don't even know them. That almost doesn't sound fair, does it? But this is how this is traditionally taught in mainstream Christianity, that if you don't find answers, if something is persistent, then it has to be a generational curse. And there's all kinds of ministries, all kinds of teaching about it, and people are put on all kinds of hamster wheels to try and find and apply these supposed solutions. But this is where it comes from. That's what I wanted to show you. And then we see the same thing again in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, reading from the Amplified Translation. This is God speaking to Moses about himself. So God is talking about himself to Moses here. 
Okay, and he says, keeping mercy and lo- by, by the way, this is the second time that God gave the law. Because remember, the first time Moses lost his cool, he threw the tablets down with the Ten Commandments, and they broke. So he had to go. He had to make new tablets and go back so that God would write the Ten Commandments again. So this is when this is happening now. And so God repeats this. Watch this. Keeping mercy and loving kindness for thousands, forgiving, watch this, iniquity and transgression and sin. Now right there, God gives us the progression of sin. Then he says, but he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, watch this, visiting, avenging, the iniquity, sin guilt of the fathers upon the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations, that is, calling the children to account for the sins of their fathers. That's pretty tough. Now, it almost seems like there's a bit of a contradiction there because God begins by saying, I forgive iniquity, I forgive transgression, I forgive sin, which is the progression of sin. In other words, it starts with sin, then if it's practiced ongoing, it becomes transgression. And if that's practiced more, then eventually it becomes iniquity. So it's the highest form or the most developed form of sin. Sin is sin regardless, but it does grow. And James tells us the same thing. And so that's what we see here. But it's interesting how he says he does forgive it. But then he says, no, no, the iniquity of the fathers is carried on to the third and fourth generation. And so this is why sometimes this is confusing. Number one, because it's taken out of context. Number two, it's not understood in light of the whole Bible. And oftentimes the Bible is not used to interpret the Bible. All they do is, all people do that teach us is go and find other verses that verify, that confirm this, but not let it interpret the Bible so that we can understand it correctly. And so, again, we see there. Now, let me just explain those three different things, which I've said is the progression of sin, how sin grows up, if you will. You know, for example, we, uh, when we are, we still, we're not walking, but we go around crawling on our knees and all that, we refer to as a toddler. Then when we start walking and we start functioning on our own, we are referred to as a child. And then eventually, you know, when we grow up and we're self-sufficient and, you know, we, are, we become legal, if you will, we are regarded as an adult. Well, that's the progression we go through. And then, of course, we get older. And so the same thing is here. It, it, what God does is he describes how sin grows up, if you will. It starts off as sin, which is the toddler form, if you will. And then it goes on to transgression, which you could say is the teenage child situation. And then it becomes an adult, which is iniquity. And so another way that you, and I don't want to get into this because this isn't part of our study here, but I need to clarify. Another way you can describe those three terms, the progression of sin, is that sin means to miss the mark. In other words, this is God's standard, but unintentionally, we miss that standard. That's sin. Transgression means to go over the mark. In other words, we know that that's God's standard, but we wanted to indulge in the sin a little bit, so we went over, you know, like trespassing. That's what's called the trespass, uh, transgression. And then if we decide, you know what, I'm going to go over the fence and I'm just going to stay there because I just love being in that sin. That is called inequity. It means to stay over the mark. So you can see that that's where the heart gets hard, where that's where the conscience becomes seared. And before you know it, the person doesn't see anything wrong with it, even though it's completely wrong. 
And God says, as we've seen it in two different places, when he gave the law both times, he said, it is the iniquity. In other words, those who stay over the mark and willfully sin. He says, that is what I'm not going to forgive. That is what is then passed on to. He says, I for, yeah, he's, I'll explain it later. He says, that is what is passed on to the third and fourth generation. And I mean, shame on those who are to follow because of what one person did in those generations, right? But that's what that means. And so the um, NIV, in actual fact, helps us understand me a little clearer. And they put it mostly accurate from the original. But it is pretty accurate, and I'll show you where they, I believe they missed it and tell you what it should be. So Exodus 34, verse 7. Watch this now from the NIV, the same verse we've just read. He says, maintaining love for thousands... And forgiving, watches, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, that's another way you can describe those three words. It starts off at sin, then it becomes rebellion, because now you're rebelling against what you know better. And then if you continue, it becomes wickedness. That's what wicked is. Wicked is not what the, you know, the younger generation used to say. That's wicked, dude, meaning that it's really cool. No, God, when God says wicked, it means real wicked. So wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children, watch this, for the sin. See, that should not be sin. That should be wickedness, because that's what we've seen earlier. For the wickedness of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So it's not sin and rebellion. It is wickedness that causes a generational curse. So you could easily say that, right? But nonetheless, I wanted us to see there that it does talk about the progression of sin. It does talk about how sin grows up. All right, so we can move on from that. All right, so uh, to, now that we've clarified that, you can see that it is the intentional, deliberate, willful sin that brought about a generational curse. Now, of course, the question we have is, is that if that's the case, then you and I, no matter how committed we are to the gospel, to Jesus, how we receive salvation in Jesus, if we just leave it at that, we would think, that's terrible. That doesn't even make sense. Why would he go to the cross, pay that price, redeem me, and here I am still stuck with the consequence of what people I don't even know and even if I know them, I don't know what they got up to. And now I'm the one that has to pay the price for that. But yet people, you know, sometimes when people are desperate, believers, tongue-talking believers, they'll say, well, yeah, that makes sense. And then they go on a hunt, on a quest to find out <laughs> exactly what generational curses may be upon them that is causing them to suffer like this. And then they go and look for someone who would know who would be anointed, would know better and help them break those generational curses and just hope for the best. I mean, does that sound like gospel truth to you? It sure doesn't sound like that to me, but it used to, and I used to teach this. I used to send people on these quests and I myself went on this quest in my BG days, my before grace days. And so if that's the case, if that has been the case for you, you may be watching thinking, you know, there's been this thing in my life that's been going on and on and on. And I understand the gospel and I'm getting to understand gospel truth as, you know, I'm part of this church and listen to the teaching. But yeah, you know, I, I have to admit, maybe this is the issue for me. Well, let's see if that's the issue for us. Now, I'm going to speak not on my behalf, not on behalf of what I believe is gospel truth, but I'm going to speak on behalf of those who embrace 
that belief, that doctrine, who embrace, as New Covenant believers, embrace this aspect of generational curses and have ministries and do what they do in relation to that. They say, remember, I just said they say. It's not I say. It's not we say. They say. They say that the apparent apparent identifiers of generational curses are, and I'm going to give you three. They give a whole lot more. But these are the three main ones that they refer to. They say there is probably, remember, they say there is probably a generational curse if one of these three things are apparent in your life. And here they are. They say that, well, you know, bad that goes on from generation to generation. Just bad things, bad things happening, bad things from one generation to the other. That's a sign of a generational curse. Then they'll also say, you know, repetitive patterns of sin and consequence. In other words, the father did this. He committed that sin. You find that the son did the same thing and the grandfather did the same thing. So it's, And they experience the same consequence. So there is a repetitive pattern. They'll say that's a sign of a generational curse in your life. Then the third thing that they will say is, is that this, they look for common threads of dysfunction, sickness, or disease. In other words, you know, your great-granddaddy had this, your granddad had this, your dad had this, and that's probably why you have it. That's why you're suffering with this. Um, and when I talk about dysfunction, uh, threads of dysfunction, they specifically refer to marriage problems, addiction problems, abuse, chronic health issues, and so forth. And so they say that if you have one of these three identifiers, it is probably a generational curse. Well, and then the general thought then is, is that unless one breaks these generational curses over their lives, they will continue to experience the consequences of it, and so will their generations to follow. That's the sad thing, is, is that they are told that unless you break these, you find a way to break these curses, you, are, you have this doom part of it, and your children to come will continue with this thing. You know, hoping that they are the fourth generation and the final generation. Hope, you know, you should hope that you are the fourth and final generation. Well, you know, I don't know. That doesn't sound like gospel truth to me. And then, of course, they are pointed to <clears throat> what I call spiritual specialists, special ministries that all they do is focus on generational curses. Their TV shows will be about generational curses. <clears throat> the books that they produce will be about generational curses. Every prayer they pray, every sermon they preach, everything they do is about generational curses and the deliverance of generational curses. And I'm thinking, I want to see that in Scripture, specifically in the New Covenant. I want to see that in the New Covenant. I want to see where God talks about it, where the apostles talk about it, where Jesus spoke about it, and where we see this ministry, you know, of um, breaking generational curses. Well, we don't find that. But nonetheless, <clears throat> and so it is often those struggling to find answers for the unexplained you know, unexplained hardship, unexplained failure in their lives. They're the ones that get caught up in this web of generational curses. Now, we can't deny it. It's in the Bible. It's there. God spoke about it. I showed it to you. 
But look at it in context. Look at it. Look at who he was addressing, and why he was addressing it, and who he said would be the would experience the consequence of it. I mean, that alone just gives us the answer and sets us free. Now, believers. So let me say this: having said all that, and I'm going to repeat this statement that I'm about to make. So listen real carefully, okay? Believers who focus on curses do not fully understand the realities of being in Jesus and of the finished work of redemption. Isn't that true? And I'm going to show it to you, and I'm going to prove it to you in a moment. So let me say it again. Believers who focus on curses, any kind of curse, not just generational curse, but any curse, do not fully understand the realities of being in Jesus and of the finished work of the cross. The finished work of redemption. Amen. And that's true, and I'm going to show it to you. I mean, when you think about Hosea 4, verse 6, it's not on the screen, but I just want to tell you about it. In Hosea 4, uh, 4 verse 6, God says that His people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, not curses. He doesn't say, my people are destroyed for curses. No, He says they are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. In other words, we need to understand Scripture. We need to understand it properly in context. We need to let the Bible interpret the Bible, not just the Bible confirm what you are trying to confirm, but let it actually interpret what, you, what truth you're trying to convey. And then look at everything through the finished work of, of the cross. And you'll see that God shows us we need to know what covenant we're in, what we inherited in Jesus, who we are in Jesus, and that will set us free. Amen. So, having said all that, which is the foundation for my message, I want to share with you today, as fast as I can, eight reasons why generational curses don't apply to the believer. Eight reasons why generational curses do not apply to you if you're a believer in Jesus. If you receive salvation in Jesus, these eight reasons will prove to you the generation, generational curses don't apply to you or to your life. All right, so are you ready? And I'm going to have these reasons come up on the screen as well. You'll see the text will get smaller as we add them, but you should still be able to see them there. Don't forget that these slides will also be available once this message is uploaded on our website. You'll be able to click and view it or you can download it and you'll have it all there with the references and everything. Okay, so here's reason number one. Why generational curses don't apply to the believer? Here it comes up now. Number one, God's law is the basis of generational curses. And I'm giving you the references there, which I'm going to read, okay? But I'm, it's there so that in future you can see it. Okay, so number one reason is, is that God's law is the basis for generational curses. Not the new covenant, not grace, God's law. Because remember, He gave that as a commandment when he gave the law the first time, and then when Moses had to go back with tablets because he broke the first ones, he gave it again, which was, he was it was him giving the law. And when God introduced generational curses, he the basis of it was the law, the giving of the commandments. And so when God spoke about generational curses, he was speaking then to a people living under the law. And you know that New Covenant believers relate to God differently. We're not under law. Amen. Now, I'm not saying we reject the law. We embrace the law for the reasons God gave the law. But we are not under law. And we have 
plenty teaching on that, but I want to show you one verse today of many, and here it is here, Romans 6 verse 14. It shows us that. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. In other words, rulership over you. For, in other words, because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, we can replace that word sin that you see there with generational curses, because that's what causes generational curses. So let's read it that way. For generational curses shall not have dominion over you. In other words, rulership over you. For, in other words, this is the reason, you are not under law, but under grace. I mean, that's a no-brainer. It's right there, it shows us. God's law is the basis of generational curses, and we are not under law as New Covenant believers. So it doesn't apply to us, right? Reason number two. Generational curses apply to those who hate God. That's what we've seen, right, in Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5. In other words, what does that mean? It means those who reject God. Because remember, he said, if they make idols and then they worship those idols and serve those idols, in other words, false gods, by doing that, he sees it as them hating him, because obviously they do. Why else would they do that? And he says, their wickedness, them doing that is seen as wickedness by God. And he says, that wickedness then is going to result in generational curses. Why? Because obviously they're going to teach their generations to worship those idols, and therefore they'll experience those, those curses, right? So by virtue of their idolatry is how they reject God. Let's have a look at that portion. <clears throat> Exodus 20, verse four, 4 and 5, the first part of verse 5 there. Remember, we read this. He says, now I'm going to give you the whole context here. You shall not make you for yourself a carved image, any, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Watch this. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. What iniquity is that? Of idol worship. Um, upon the children <laughs> to the third and fourth generations, watch this, of those who hate me. So in context, he sees God sees as someone who chooses to worship something else made and not God who made them as someone who hates him. So you can see the context here and letting scripture interprets itself. You can see here that that's what he's talking about. Look at how the New Living Translation puts the second part of verse 5. It's on the screen there at the bottom. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Watch this. Now you know what sin that is. Idol worship. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. That's another way you can translate that. Why? Because when they decide to worship idols and false gods, they are basically rejecting God and God sees that as they hate him. And therefore, it is that he sees as wickedness. And that is the wickedness that is then, that invokes, that releases the curse. And it becomes a generational curse. I mean, it makes sense. It's their doing. It's not God just wanting to curse people. It's by their doing that they bring that into their own lives, right? So, as a new covenant believer, let me ask you this question. Have you rejected God for worshiping something else? I mean, does that really apply to you? Besides the fact that we've already shown you that you're not under law, and this is for people under the law. 
Well, obviously not. So that's the second reason why generational curses don't apply to the new covenant believer. All right, reason number three. Jesus removed the curse of the law from the believer. Right? Absolutely. Let's have a look at that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, from the Passion Translation here, puts it beautifully. Watch what it says. Yet Christ paid the full price. So we don't need to pay any more price. He paid the full price. To set us free, watch this, from the curse of the law. Remember, generational curses are part of the law. Besides the fact that we're not under it and we're not idol worshippers, but just to be safe, he paid the full price for the curse of the law, meaning generational curses too. Watch this. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. So he did it for you, but he also did it as you. For it is written, everyone who's hung up on a tree, in other words, a cross, is double, uh, doubly cursed. So right there we see that Jesus removed the curse of the law, which includes generational curses, besides the fact that we're not under law already. And so there it is. That's the the third reason why generational curses don't apply to the new covenant believer. Reason number four. Generational curses are not for those who are devoted and who worship God. Deuteronomy 24 verse 16 from the Amplified. Watch this. He says, this is God speaking here later on. Watch what he says about his people. Those, not those who worship idols, because we've already seen what, what happens to them. But about his people. Watch what God says. The fathers shall not. Once you say, shall not. What does that mean? It won't, right? The fathers shall not be put to death for the sins of their children. Watch this. Nor shall the children be put to death for, the, for their fathers. Only... For his own sin shall anyone be put to death. Now, that's under the law. Under the law, yes, people were responsible for their own sin. As we are in the new covenant, we're not responsible. What I mean by that is sin has a wage. We'll experience the consequence of it. It's not God doing it to us. But under the law, there was a law that said if they sin, they'll be personal for that sin. And, I mean, the consequence was there. But notice, God himself about his own people, not the idol worshippers, about those who are devoted to him, who, who love him. He said, they're not going to be, no generational curse for them. This is verified in Jeremiah 31 verse 30 from the Amplified Translation. It says, but everyone will die only for his own wickedness. See that? Every man who eats sour grapes, his own teeth shall be set on edge. So right there we see, God makes it clear. Even under the old covenant, for his own people, not the other worshiper, he says, you don't have to be concerned with generational curses. And you know, just as a side note, when we talk about, you know, where it said that the teeth, their teeth shall be set on edge. Think about it. It's, it's a phrase that we use basically to describe when something horribly annoys us. I know one of the things that I think it's Helena. You know, if you take something sharp and you rub it against glass, a window, pain it makes that squeaky sound a lot of people can't handle it i know that helena can't handle it and i've seen her when i've done that to tease her on the mirror she goes like this you know it bites her teeth children do that too when they're really mad at someone or something they 
bite their teeth. In other words, their teeth is set on edge. In other words, this is something that really annoys them. And here God says that everyone will die for his own wickedness. In other words, they'll experience the consequence of their own personal sin and it will annoy them because they engage in it. That's what he's saying. Now, this is again for people under the law in the Old Testament. So God himself provided clarification of who it applies to. Now, reason number five why generational curses don't apply to the believer. Believers are dead to the law in Jesus. You and I, if we've received salvation in Jesus, we are dead to the law. Romans chapter 7, the first part of verse 4, watch this from the Amplified Translation. Therefore, my fellow believers, you too, watch this, died to the law through the crucified body of Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross, when he gave up his life and died for us and as us, it says at that same exact point, you and I died to the law. So you are dead to the law. So the law doesn't have any rulership over you. Now I'm not saying that's a license to anything because the law points us to Jesus and the law is God's heart and standard and Jesus helps us live that out. But you are not under it. Therefore, you are not ruled by it. You are dead to it. You're not alive to it, right? And so that's another reason. So having said that, let me make two statements. Listen to this carefully. So anyone who points you to generational curses as a new covenant believer is also then pointing you to the law. And they're implying that you are still alive to the law and that you are still under law. And is that the case? <laughs> no, certainly not. You are not under law. You are dead to the law. Jesus took the curse of the law. Generational curses were for those under the law who idol worshipped. And so you can see from all of this, it doesn't apply to you. So don't go around entertaining. This must be because of something someone did. And then go look for a spiritual specialist who's going to send you on legalistic spins. And who knows if you'll find your answer. Your answer is right here. God gives it to us. Amen. Now I know you're saying, well, how come those things are happening to me then? Why is it going on? Just hang on in there. I'll give you some, um, some reasoning for that based on what we're teaching here today. Now, think about it. The only way to get under a curse then is by getting back under law. So if you want to experience a curse or a generational curse, then go back to relating to God by law. Get back under law and then you'll experience curses. And you know, there's already a bit of a clue because someone who chooses to relate to God by their merit, by their performance, by the merit and performance of their generations and their legacy, well, that's what in essence what they're doing. And so, yeah, then, you know, if things begin to happen and patterns begin to follow, well, it may just be because you've decided to relate to God by a merit system. In other words, I do, God gives me. I don't do, God doesn't give me. That's the law. That's how the law works. We shouldn't be relating to God that way. We should be relating to Him by His grace, His unmerited favor. Amen. And so that's reason number five. Reason number six. The believer's identity is in Jesus, not in Adam. Your identity as a new covenant believer is in Jesus, not 
in Adam. Look at this in Romans chapter 6, verse 6 from the Passion. It says, Could it be any clearer that our former, in other words, our past identity, is now and forever deprived of its power? Why? Because it's gone, it's dead, it's died. For we were co crucified with him, talking about Jesus to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us, see that? So that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Right there in that portion, you see it as clear as anything, that the believer's identity is in Jesus, not in Adam. Praise God for that. Amen. And here's another one, which is where we get our, the name of our church from. 2 Corinthians 5.17 from the New King James. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if they receive salvation in Jesus, he or she is a new creation. All things, talking about their history, who they were in Adam, have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I mean, <laughs> in essence, what he is saying there is, is that you as a believer have a new history. Your old history is gone in Adam. So if that includes generational curses, if that's what we were tied into, even though we've seen enough evidence that we're not, right? But you have a new history. You don't have an old history, right? God is your father. He's not your grandfather or great-grandfather. There's no, there's no curse on him, right? So <laughs> we have a new history. So our identity is in Jesus. Not in that's the sixth reason why generational curses don't apply to the new covenant believer. Reason number seven. Jesus took all our sin, transgression, and iniquity upon himself. Now, if for any reason anyone sees that, you know, as a license to sin, as people say, well, I can just go on doing, I don't have to worry about generational curses. Well, clearly you don't understand the gospel and what Jesus did for, for you, and you need an, a different kind of heart surgery. Isn't that true? But Jesus took all our sin, transgression, and iniquity upon himself. Watch this in Isaiah 53. And for time's sake, I'm just going to read the relevant portions, which is 5a and 10b. Okay? Look at what it says here, prophetically speaking about what Jesus would go through and what he actually did for you and I. It says, but he was wounded, watch this, for our transgressions. Check, dealt with. He was bruised for our iniquities. Done. Then it says, when you make his soul, talking about God and Jesus, an offering for sin. Right there you see the progression of sin, how sin grows up, Jesus took care of it all. He took care of our sin, our transgression, and our iniquity. Amen. So if anyone even tries to get technical with you and say, well, yeah, you may not be idol worshiping, but you still have progressed in sin. Well, the cross took care of that. Jesus took care of that. Amen. Not that so we can continue in it, but so we can live free from it. Praise God. Amen. But it doesn't take away that Jesus took it all away. So that's the seventh reason. And I can give you a whole bunch, but I'm just giving you eight today. That's the seventh reason why generational curses do not apply to the new covenant believer. Don't let anyone send you on that quest or tell you that it's the case. It's not scriptural. That's why we titled this message, The Unscriptural Side of generational curses because all of this is showing to you that for you as a new covenant believer generational curses are not scriptural amen all right reason number eight the last one 
We are blessed in Jesus and no one else. <laughs> our blessing, the guarantee of our blessing is in Jesus and no one else. God's blessing on our lives, God's favor on our lives does not depend on someone else. It is based on Jesus. And Jesus has no curse issues in himself. Amen. Let me show you this in Ephesians 1 and verse 3 from the Amplified. Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's blessed. Watch us now. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So he has blessed us with every blessing, every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Now you may say, but that sounds like it's future heaven. Well, think about it. There are three dimensions or three, uh, yeah, three dimensions to heaven. There's the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. God lives in the third heaven. The stars and outer space is in the second heaven. The first heaven is where we are. We walk in the first heaven. So don't try and apply this and say it's you know, in the future by and by. No, you don't need blessings then because you'll be in the fullness of his blessing. It is in this blessing in this and our realm now. So we have been blessed in Jesus and no one else. No one else, even in our ancestor lineage, no one else determines how blessed we are. Our blessing is determined by who we are in Jesus. Amen. We are blessed in Jesus. Praise God. And I mean, think about that blessing. So, but let me say this before I say anything else, having said that. The question that we should be asking is not how cursed you are, but how blessed you are. We shouldn't be going around as New Covenant believers asking, how cursed am I? And see if I can fix it. No, we should be going around saying, how blessed am I? Because I don't think I've got the full revelation of what God has done for me. So let me go and ask and find out just how blessed I am. That's what he's communicating to us in that portion, right? And you know, when you think about God's blessing, it is irreversible. God does not take it back. When he releases it, he releases it. It's ours. We are irreversibly blessed. You, as a New Covenant believer, are irreversibly blessed. Praise God. Amen. And you know, when you think about Balaam and Balak, we don't have time to get into it, but if you go read Numbers 22 and 23 when you have time, you see the children of Israel are, Israel are traveling to the promised land. They have to go through the land of Moab. And the king of Moab, Balak, decides, I don't want them here, but they, nonetheless they're coming through. So he hires this so-called prophet to come and curse them. And he tries, he tries a few times, and he just couldn't get it right. And watch the statement that he makes, which is God's truth about blessing and his blessing for us as well. Numbers 23 verse 20, the first part of that verse. Watch what he says. This is Balaam saying to Balak, God has blessed and I cannot reverse it. And that applies to anyone else on this planet. God has blessed you and me in Jesus, and no one can reverse it. It is irreversible. No curse, and already you shouldn't even be thinking that way by now, but no curse can reverse God's blessing in our lives because we are irreversibly blessed. Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful gospel truth. Amen. 
And you know, if anyone in the future, if you come across anyone who thinks that, you know, this is happening, I don't have an answer. I was told that it has to be because of generational. Well, now you've got something concise that you can internalize and just share with them. You can point them to this resource. You know, people sometimes ask me and say, Pastor, I know we have limits and that kind of thing. How can we help you? How can we help? Well, the best way you can help is by supporting the the work of the gospel here at this church. Secondly is share things. You know, the things that we have on YouTube, on our Facebook page, on Instagram, on Twitter. It's all over the place there. Share these things. Go to our website first and foremost and share these messages with them. Send them links. Send it privately if you don't want to put it on your public uh, you know, timeline or whatever it's called. Just share it. That's how we can spread the word. But more importantly, the reason why I'm saying all this is because people need to hear this truth. People who are struggling with things, right? So besides these eight reasons that we've looked at today, think about this. None of the apostles who wrote Scripture, New Covenant Scripture, starting with Paul, Peter, and so on, none of the apostles ever told us or indicate to us that we need to concern ourselves with generational curses. They didn't mention it in any specific form to say, you've got to be concerned about this. They didn't. And then you think about Jesus. when, For example, when he healed people, and you know that he healed many, not one time did he point to generational curses curses first. In actual fact, <coughs> when the disciples, before they had revelation, tried and they said, Lord, who, who, why was this man born this way? Is it his father that sinned? You know, his mother, who is it that sinned? Jesus said, none of them. Forget about that. He says, but let's have the power of God manifest here now and bring a miracle. He actually deflected it because that was not the issue. He understood it. They didn't understand it. And I believe that they obviously got revelation because they wrote, you know, after that. And they didn't write about that. They didn't point us to that. Isn't that so? So the bottom line is is that don't confuse learned behavior for generational curses. One of the reasons why I believe we see patterns in generations, we see things happening one generation after another, is because it's learned behavior. Now, I'm going to use an example that you may not like, but it makes the point, and I'm not going to be crude. But think about a child who grows up in an abusive home, whether the parents were verbally abusive to each other or physically abusive to each other or whatever form of abuse happened in the home. They were exposed to that. And you know, parents are the role models in a good or bad way. We model life, character, and personality and faith to our children. And so a child who grows up in, let's just say, in a physically abusive home, that's what they learn. That's what they've been exposed to. That's what's internalized in them. First, they start off as a victim. But then when they grow up themselves, even if they have a hatred for it, they find themselves doing the same thing to their wife, to their children. Why? Because it's learned behavior. It's not a generational curse. It's learned behavior. Oftentimes, we repeat the habits, the characteristics, the traits, the lifestyles of our parents because that's, that's, that's our only reference of point, which becomes part of us. Now, we can trust God to break free from those, and yes, He will certainly help us. This is why our mind needs to be renewed. And maybe, just maybe, that's the simple answer to someone who's looking for answers. This is just behavioral patterns that are learned. That, you know, the, the, the son learned it, so 
And, you know, in the, in the example that I shared with you, that's what my guess is based on what the lady shared on the radio talk show. You know, it sounded like her husband was like that. So this, that's, that was the son's role model. So he's doing what his daddy did. And so, and, you know, pray for them and trust God, but praise God for his wonderful truth. So don't confuse learned behavior for generational curses. Sometimes we just need to renew our minds. Sometimes we just need to see it for what it is and be and say, God, help me not be like that. Let me change it. Begin with me. I'm not going to be critical. I'm not going to despise them for it. They did what they did the best as they could, but I'm going to be different. I'm going to trust you to change me. Amen. So that's one thing. And then, of course, the other answer is, or the other thing we need to look at is, is that demons, demons are around us. They're earthbound. We can't see them, but they're there. And, you know, they've been around there for thousands of years. So demons are familiar with people's histories, with people's issues. They are familiar with families and what families go through and some of the ugliness that they themselves were indirectly the result, the cause of what happened to them. They are familiar with that. And so guess what they're going to do? They're going to try and just keep the same thing going in a family line. Why? Because those people are familiar with this sin, with this abuse, with this sinfulness, with this addiction, with this way of handling each other and treating each other. And so demons are just going to fuel that in the next generation and the next generation because it makes their job easier. They don't have to retrain or re-educate someone through their evil experience. They're just going to pass it on and just keep the fire going. And so sometimes it's just demons, you know, that are familiar with our family's histories. They're familiar with the sicknesses our people experience, with the trials and tribulations our forefathers experience. And so they're just going to say, well, you know, it's because of this, because of that, because of that. And let me tell you something, that is not the case. I mean, I think about, like I said to you, I don't really know my biological dad. My stepdad, who to me is my dad, I don't even like calling him stepdad because he's my dad. But... I didn't know anything about my biological father. I knew a few things, little things. And I'm glad because I've heard from family, uh, from other people, some of the things that he did. And I'm not saying he was all bad, but he did bad things too, like all of us. But I've heard things that he had his habits and this and that. And, you know, uh, in my early years, people would say, well, you know, you may not know him, but you're probably going to be like that. You're probably going to turn out like that. You're probably going to do what he did. And I'm thinking, no. And you know, that's not the case, I know. Because I know some things and I know that I'm not like that. Praise God. And so we need to just trust God, renew our minds. But don't be fooled by demon evil forces who try and keep something going so that they can have an easy job from generation to generation. That could just well be the reason. Amen. So at the end of the day, generational curses are not supposed to be dots that we connect in our lives to get the picture. (laughs) you know what I'm talking about I mean oftentimes I don't know if they still do it but there was a restaurant there's a local restaurant here in San Antonio you would go there they would give the kids a page you know when you want a kids menu you flip the page and there's connect the dots and once you connect the dots you can see what the picture is it's a little puppy or it's a little duck or something well generational curses are are not meant to be dots that we connect so we can see the picture why we have these curses. We don't. <laughs> we don't have to connect any dots. Jesus is our picture. And we don't need to connect those dots except by looking at his word. Amen. 
Jesus is your picture. Praise God. Now, ultimately, when you think about what Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, he said the truth will set you free. But he, more specifically, he said the truth you know will set you free. He said truth, not curse-breaking, will set us free. Amen. Truth sets us free. Truth about God's Word. Things like uh, what we've looked at today. That sets us free. Not curse-breaking. Amen. Praise God. And so we need to make sure ultimately that we live on the right side of the cross. All generational curses are on the other side of the cross. And they are specifically to those under law. But more specifically to those who are idol worshippers. And that is not for us. We need to live on the right side of the cross in Jesus, freed from all that. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.